can get more into some like just current market stuff going on. What, yeah. what do you want to talk about? Well, let's just talk about what's going on in the market right now. Obviously, so we're filming this in mid-November 2023. Bitcoin has had quite the performance over the past, I mean, really this year and especially the past few weeks. So Luke, well, I guess what you say is is driving this. The big news on everybody's mind right now is the BlackRock and the the spot ETFs all kind of on the cusp of being, seems like they're about to be approved. Maybe uh, we're going to have an answer soon. Maybe what's your take on, on Bitcoin's performance this year? Yeah, Bitcoin's doing great. It's doubled this year up over hundred percent in 2023. It's up 40% in the last month. The chart looks really good. And I think far more importantly than trying to communicate that, oh, Bitcoin's up, is that the dollar's down, right? You wouldn't say the locomotive is up. You would say the horses are down. You, you know, you're not saying, oh, look at how well the locomotive's doing. You'd be saying, oh, the horse paradigm is shifting away, right? So I, I think that's perhaps the even more important thing to say that despite the Federal Reserve hiking rates like crazy, despite the U.S. government making dollars more scarce like crazy, everyone can feel it. Everyone's tight on cash, right? Again. They are making dollars as scarce as they can to reduce inflation, aka the rise in prices, as much as they can. And still, despite that, uh, the dollar is falling against Bitcoin because Bitcoin is still perceived as the more scarce thing. So that'd be my perspective that, yeah, I think Bitcoin's going up. Do I think the majority of people are that are buying Bitcoin understand that where I just said, no, I, I, don't, <laughs> I, I don't think so. I think most people are buying it because they're perceiving it as something that's going up, not as escaping something else that's going down. But yeah, I think people are mainly buying it because they're perceiving it as number go up. They're perceiving the ETF as an increasing probability, which it is an increasing probability. They're getting excited for the halving coming up next year. For those that don't know, that basically means the supply of Bitcoin gets cut in half. So people are excited for that. People are excited for murmurs of adoption. The FTX fraud is dead, has been dead for a year now. And so all that leverage and paper has been wiped from the system. There's still a lot of paper in the system. So Bitcoin could definitely go lower in terms of the dollar. I could easily go lower. But simultaneously, we could also just create a lot more paper and Bitcoin could go a lot higher. So I, I always say that my price prediction is that Bitcoin could go down tomorrow. It's probably more likely to go up tomorrow. And either way, it doesn't matter because it's going up indefinitely, right? In terms of paper, aka everything else. So so yeah, I, I'm I am excited for the ETF. I am excited for the having. I'm excited for all that stuff. Ultimately, though, I wish it would take longer because I want more time to stack. I want more time to buy. Once you understand that Bitcoin is the money, you don't want Bitcoin to go up. I think that is a true marker of someone that understands Bitcoin, right? If you're viewing Bitcoin in terms of dollars, viewing the locomotive in terms of horses, you want it to go up so you can get more horses, so you can get more dollars. But if you are viewing it as what I'm claiming it is, then you want it to stay lower for longer because you understand the potential of the national global railway system. And so you want as much as you can while it's still cheap, while horses are still viable. So anyway, on so many levels. <laughs> yeah. Me and Anthony talk about it all the time. Like every, every time Bitcoin just rips, oh my gosh, <laughs> needed to slow down a little bit. Need to, need to stack more sets. <laughs> That's kind um, of painful. I know. It's crazy. 
And it's so hard for people to understand that too, especially people that like know I'm really into Bitcoin that they, they think I'm, you know, over the moon excited when it goes up, but it's actually like, no, I wanted to, to stay down just a little bit longer so I can, you know, keep accumulating. So what's your take on the on the BlackRock ETF? Uh, do you think, I guess, net positive if it is approved? Or do you have any, I've heard different takes on it. Like it, it could be, could open up a door to some potential man- manipulation. It could be the best thing that's happened to Bitcoin because it opens up this, you know, window of all this institutional money that finally is allowed to to get involved. What's your take on it? If it is approved or if it's not approved, like what do you think the effect will be? I think it'll be approved. It's possible it gets pushed out a long ways longer, but I think it's knocking on the door. I think it's pretty close. I don't know when. I'm not going to speculate when because ultimately there are people making decisions and my whole mantra is I don't want to trust people, right? I don't want to have to predict what they're doing, right? So so I don't know when it's going to happen, but I do think that when it does happen, there'll be a lot of capital flowing to Bitcoin and that will mean that price will probably go up. I think that's good for Bitcoin in that price goes up, meaning more people become interested in it, meaning more adoption. I think it's bad for Bitcoin because I do think it will add a lot of manipulation, a lot of price manipulation to the downside for Bitcoin. So that upwards momentum from the capital flowing in, I think will be partially siphoned away to paper Bitcoin. Obviously, ETF is much more reputable than FTX or an unregulated exchange or unregulated security. You know, obviously it's vastly, vastly different and far safer, but still I think there will be that manipulation. We've seen that with other ETFs. You know, gold is perhaps the most infamous example, or silver too, for that matter. However, ultimately that actually makes me bullish because you know optimistic on Bitcoin in the longer term, because the lower the ETFs keep Bitcoin price, the higher sat stacking people like you and me have. Like we were just saying a moment ago, we want more because we want to hold it forever. And so if let's say Bitcoin price should be 200,000 USD, but ETF manipulation keeps it down to 100,000 USD, you and me are stacking twice as fast as we would normally, meaning that twice as many sats are going to permanent hodlers where they're never selling their sats back on the market, or at least for an extremely long period of time. So ironically, a lot of Bitcoiners are like, oh, well, ETF's going to cause price manipulation. It's going to be so bad. I mean, yeah, short term, it could be quote unquote bad. Again, if you want price to go up, but I want price to go down or stay down as long as possible. So I view that as good personally. And then for the whole network, it's actually ironically good because the more they manipulate the price, the faster they'll get flushed out, right? If they don't manipulate manipulate price that much, they could probably go on a very long time. If they manipulate it like crazy and keep it low like crazy, that means the faster people stack, the faster people get coins off exchanges, get coins out, paper Bitcoin, and therefore the faster that rehypothecation and the faster that paper Bitcoin vaporizes and then eventually number goes up. So so yeah, I don't know. I I really don't know. I think the ETF could be approved and basically nothing happens to Bitcoin. I mean, Canada already has an ETF. You know, Micah strategy is basically a proxy ETF. I mean, you know, so perhaps perhaps that's not nearly as impactful on price as we expect. However, it's entirely possible it's significantly, significantly more impactful on price than we expect. And so I don't know where it's going to go, but I think either way, it's probably going higher. And especially in the case of the latter, I'm not waiting. I'm not trying to time. 
you know, I'm not trying to time my exit from horses to locomotive. I went out as fast as I can. That's, that's a great way to say it. Uh, yeah. So ETF is kind of, I feel like the major thing on everybody's mind right now, what else is going on in the Bitcoin market that you think is uh, critical right now? Obviously we've got the halving coming up next year. That's a huge catalyst. I'm curious like, what do you think about just the, the overall economy? Cause everybody can kind of, I feel like feel it that the U S does seem to be in or really close to a recession even though the stock market is just a hair blow, it's all-time highs. It seems like nothing has really uh, fallen apart yet. Yeah, I guess, yeah, what's your take on on, on the economy, you know, say over the next year, especially with the these high interest rates and how that will affect things? And how does Bitcoin play into that? Like, does, does this potential recession kind of shake up the Bitcoin's typical four years cycles? Or does Bitcoin really just decouple here and could Bitcoin become kind of like a flight to safety asset, even while say like the stock market and other assets are potentially going down? Yeah, I I really don't know. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I see the arguments either way. Mm-hmm. I, I, it's the amount we've raised interest rates is insane. It's not sustainable. We can't do it for, forever. You know, eventually we have to either... Like something has to give. Either we lower interest rates or we keep interest rates high and we just print, print, print the difference, right? I mean, it's it, it, it's that the math doesn't add up. And so where we are today cannot stay. Either interest rates come down or we print more money, right? So I think I think either way, something's going to shift, probably in a large way in the next five years or three years or two years or even year. Simultaneously, though, I think that. The way at which we're pricing the economy, the way at which we're pricing GDP and everything else, I think is through the lens of political currency distortion. And so it, it's hard. You know, it's it's like trying to predict irrational behavior because it is irrational behavior. I mean, perhaps we come back to rationality and things change in an instant, or perhaps we just continue to be rational longer and longer into the future. I mean, I, I really don't know as far as Bitcoin goes, like you asked, I think it's very possible Bitcoin goes down. If we have a credit event similar to March of 2020, yeah, Bitcoin could crash. I think, I think it's going to be tough to do that. I mean, we have, I mean, we have to look at what happened in 2020, like the world shut down, Right. I mean, we can be as doomsday as we want with credit events, but it's like it would take a massive credit event to shut down the world as fast as we did in 2020. And that's ultimately very scary. But I I have trouble seeing that kind of downwards event happening or at least happening for very long because I think if it happens, we just print just like we did in 2020 ourselves out of it. On the other hand, it's very strange. Stock valuations are still super high. Real estate valuations are still super high. It's very interesting to me that despite how much they've raised interest rates, these house prices are still sticky. These stock valuations are still sticky. And really, it's hard to predict. It's so sticky because it's so illiquid. Nobody wants to sell, meaning that very easily it could be a flash crash and things skyrocket down because 
everyone's holding on and suddenly they just can't anymore. It's just capitulation. But on the other hand, if somehow we avoid that, maybe we don't go down much more. You know, if we look at historical examples of hyperinflation, it's like it just keeps going up, right? And so I'm not saying we'll have hyperinflation here in the US soon. I don't think we will in the US anytime soon, but it's possible, but I don't think we will. Yeah. So really, I don't know. And I think while I enjoy the conversation, I think it's actually very useful because it gets to the more fundamental points. I think ultimately, I don't think anyone knows. Like, I don't even think the people in charge, you know, us everyday folks like to think that the people in charge have a grand master plan that they're trying to take advantage of us. For it. I, I, I don't think they do. I don't think they're thinking it through. I don't think they know what they're doing. I don't think they're considering the second order effects. And so I think it's going to be a great big experiment to see what happens. Maybe there's a decoupling with Bitcoin and everything else. Maybe not. I think there will eventually be decoupling. Or one could argue already having it because stocks are falling down in Bitcoin terms. Real estate's falling down in Bitcoin terms. Everything's falling down in Bitcoin. So maybe we're, we already are in the decoupling. It's just that most people, their time horizon isn't long, isn't long enough. So yeah, hard to say. Sorry, I, I don't have any polarizing specific answers, but I think, I think well, I, I think it applies to life in general that it's very easy to predict tomorrow. It's very easy to predict a thousand years from now. Like tomorrow, I'll probably be at home here. And a thousand years, you'll probably be dead. <laughs> Five years from now, I have no idea, right? I think it's the same thing with the economy. You know, in the same way that our individual lives are extremely complicated, so many moving parts. I think the same thing with the economy. Tomorrow, yeah, the market's probably going to be fine. Bitcoin's probably still going to be within 5% of its current price. You know, in 20 years, I think Bitcoin's 100x higher. I think, you know, I have my specific... Oh, the, the far out is easy to predict. The short term is easy to predict. It's that middle area that... I think is incredibly difficult that meandering path to predict how we get there. Much simpler and easier to just stack sats every day. Just not worry about it. <laughs> uh, um, all right, Luke. So before we get into a few Twitter questions, I am curious about hearing about El Salvador. So for those who don't know, El Salvador, first country in the world to announce Bitcoin as legal tender. That was, uh, what was it, a year or two ago. And Luke actually just very recently went there. And yeah, I'm curious about hearing about it because I really want to go. Yeah, it was great. It's very beautiful. It's very beautiful. The place was gorgeous. The food was wonderful. And I was not surprised by how little Bitcoin adoption there was. It is very impressive, but it's much less than what most people online expect. You know, it's maybe 1% regular adoption because people think, oh, it's like, legal tender and El Salvador and I receives eclipse of everyone else already using it. It's like, yeah, no, most people are not using it. Right. And that's okay because it's not the change that matters. It's the rate of change that matters. Right. That's what's important. Going from 0.00% adoption to 1% adoption is huge. Right. That's a massive, massive deal. And I think we'll have diminishing returns for a while, then it'll probably accelerate in the future, but it's it's a massive achievement. And despite only one-ish percent adoption, and that's just a guess, you know, don't take that to the bank. <laughs> but it, it, that's funny, actually. Don't take that to the bank. That's like a, I, I often wonder, I, I catch myself saying that once in a while, and I wonder, will that even be a phrase in a hundred years? Because will they have banks, you know? It's, it's kind of like the phrases we have today from like the ancient world of past. We don't really know why we have them, but 
we just do yeah. anyway. So don't take it to that, the <laughs> yeah, yeah, take it to the ledger, right? Yeah, it's as good as it's as good as gold, right? It's like those kinds of comments. It's like, oh, wow. Anyway, that's a side note. So yeah, as far as El Salvador, the amazing thing was how optimistic the country felt. You know, obviously most El Salvadorans are not Bitcoiners, quote unquote, but they all just felt very happy and optimistic and cheerful. Everyone seemed really healthy. Everyone was reactive. And I was in Guatemala earlier this year. And so, you know, they border each other, you know, the, you know, cultures are more or less, you know, obviously similar area of the world. And even between Guatemala and El Salvador, I felt a difference. I think a huge, huge part of that is the lack of gangs and cartels now. I think that's a huge part of it. I think a huge part of it is increasing infrastructure, better sewers, better roads, better buildings, less trash in the streets. Obviously, all this I'm hearing anecdotally, I was not there a couple of years ago because it was dangerous, right? I think another component of that is people are moving back to the country more than they were previously. There are more tourists than there were previously. There's more media coverage than there was previously. So I think all those things collectively have people there believing that two years or five years from today, the future is going to be better than it is today. And so I think that just changes the mindset. You aggregate that out to a significant percentage of people in the culture. And it's just feels like a different place, right? It feels very different for me than here in the States. So, so that was a pleasant surprise. I went to Bitcoin beach. It was wonderful. I really enjoyed it. The conference itself was wonderful. I really enjoyed it. Great people all across the world. And it was a very busy week. It, it was, it was fun. It was a quote unquote vacation, but it, it was, it, it was a lot of networking, a lot of meeting people. I met a lot of real estate developers, investors in the area, a lot of Bitcoin VC people, a lot of Bitcoin builders. And, you know, obviously travel has a lot of work in itself, but but yeah, it was definitely a great experience. And I hope that that continues to be true because ultimately, like I said before, it's not the numbers that matter. It's the prosperity that matters. It's the human flourishing that matters. It's the reduction of suffering that matters. That's what's important. And so it's really exciting to me that El Salvador is doing as well as it is, despite tiny, tiny, tiny Bitcoin adoption. Obviously, Bitcoin's only a small part in a larger picture. But yeah, I really, really enjoyed it. Great to hear. I want to go so bad. I know there's a having party next year in El Salvador. Got my eye out. I'm I'm curious about it. I'm I'm tempted. I haven't bugged a ticket yet, but I'm intrigued. It's worth your consideration, that's for sure. Good to know. Good to know. All right, Luke. So I believe we have a few questions from our Twitter followers. Anthony has those. If if you have a little bit more time to hit some yeah. of these questions. Once again, thank you, Luke. Um, yeah, we got five that Cam sent me here. If that's okay. Yeah, let's go for it. The first one being from Sigmund Splats. Uh, the question is, will future market cycles see the same huge draw- drawdowns if the ETFs are approved? I can repeat that if need be. Yeah, maybe. Again, I, I don't really know. Like maybe, I think it's entirely possible diminishing returns, for those of you that know what that is, breaks the cycle. I think that's possible. You know, maybe that happens that everyone's like, oh, bear markets are over. We're going up forever. And then we have a huge bear market. A crash worse than we did this slide. You know, maybe that's what happens. Maybe the paper manipulation of Bitcoin keeps it pretty flat and stable because they manipulate it for short-term trading and volatility. Like, 
I don't know. You know, I, I, I wish I had an answer, but if you think you have an answer, you think you know better than what the free market's going to do. And that's a bold bet. So yeah, I, I don't know. Which, which is not a non-answer. Like I do think it's a real answer because the messages don't try to trade it. I, I talked to so many people that try to trade and, you know, you could read the studies, but when you talk to as many people as I do, it's just, yeah, avoid leverage. Don't even, even spot trading. It's like you're, you're, why are you trying to make an extra quick buck shifting between horses and locomotive? It's just go with the sail at your back. Go with the, go with the train. Just move over. Forget about it. Go on to your life. Right. That's just me. Yeah. I think we can all agree on that. Just sit back and stack sets. Next question uh, by stoic BTC. What's the best argument for Bitcoin not succeeding? If there is internal failure where humans can control the network, if that happens, it's over 100%. I think that's a low probability. It's been 14 years. If I knew how to kill it, you know, huge incentive, right? Anyone that figures out how to kill it is going to make a lot of money. And and it's open source. Anyone can, you know, if there's a hole in this ship, anyone can find it. Nobody's found it yet. And the bigger it grows, the more valuable it becomes, the more eyeballs that are on it. Nobody's found it yet. China didn't find it. The Taliban didn't find it. You know, I can't find it. You know, Sailor can't find it. You guys can't find it. No one on Twitter can find it. I mean, I don't even know where to start looking, right? And I mean, I looked, but nothing's promising. So, yeah. Yeah, that, that's the best argument. Because, I mean, if, if that happens, 100% failure. Not necessarily immediately, but, you know, it's just done. It, it's a train that doesn't move. Like, it's not better tech then. It's just more the same, just useless iron just sitting there, taking up space. Yeah, I think, it, like you said, kind of the people that make up the network, the nodes, if those are majority are overtaken, then obviously it's a sunken ship. But I think the, the best time to attack that was early on, I think it's, that that snowball is pretty far down the mountain could happen yeah yeah i i one more thing to add to that i think is that could have happened 2010 2011 i think that could have happened satoshi i forget when but satoshi begged julian assange to not talk about bitcoin publicly because he knew he'd bring a lot of eyeballs to it and he and he believed the network was not ready for that kind of attack and Satoshi is probably right, you know, the, the, the probability that the, the time for that exploit, I think was 10 years ago. I think it's well beyond that point, but even if it's not well beyond that point, it's hard to tell that we're not beyond that point. And in five years, it'll be even more difficult to even begin to know where to attack it. So. Definitely. Uh, next one, ZolaCrypto.Bitcoin. How has Bitcoin changed the way you see things today? Fundamentally, is it, I mean, 
it just comes down to it changes the way I price things, right? Here's, I mean, here's some charts I pulled up that would probably be useful to communicate this. Oh, I can't screen share. That's okay. You know, basically I used to think, oh, house prices go up, food prices go up, this goes up, that goes up, blah, blah, blah. Now in Bitcoin terms, I'm like, oh, house prices come down, food prices come down, energy prices come down. Let's shift your mindset. It's just my mindset from, I should buy assets to make money to now I should save money so I can buy more assets. I mean, it's pretty simple, but most of your working life is spent trying to save energy. So when fundamentally it shifts 180, it changes changes a lot what you do and the way you think. Exactly. That's something I still wrestle with, I think. It's it was so programmed to save up to have fiat to use later. So just tackling that yeah. paradigm switch is something I still wrestle with today. But yeah, you're, I, I can agree with that. A, a funny thing I think about is I put myself in the shoes of someone in the early train days, right? Just the concept that it's now easier to travel far distances than short distances, I think for people at the time would have been mind bending. Like in the same way we're trying to figure out prices, weight are going down, not up. I think it, that would have been the same way for them. They're like, it'll take me, like I can go to a farther distance faster on a train than I can on a horse or walking. It's like, that's a, we today we take it for granted, right? We can fly around the world faster than it could take us to drive, you know, a thousand miles or whatever, right? Today we take it for granted. But I think back then that would have been just so weird to think about, right? It would have felt like teleportation, like just doesn't feel real. It's like two people can leave the same spot and you're there before them. Like, I think yeah. that that's just a hunch of mine, but I think it's a similar thing today. It's going to be fascinating to watch, watch that shift change for, for others. Next one, two more. The next one, John Cameron. What is the main advantage of using collaborative custody? So I'm guessing like multi-sig, things like that. Oh, well, hey, that's a good segue. <laughs> so yeah, for those who don't know, I work at the Bitcoin Advisor with Peter Dunworth and, and it's an Australian company, but we serve anyone in the world. And they probably ask that because I talk all the time about multi-sig and collaborative custody. The main benefit of single sig is that you are complete control and the main downside of single sig is that you're complete control, right? So if you have a single sig storage, that's great until you die or until you forget where your keys are or until someone breaks in your house and takes your your seed plate or, or your seeds or whatever, or until you, you have to leave the country and you don't have your seed plate on you or, you know, like it's it's sad, but all the time I come across people that have they are stacked our entire generational wealth let's say in a single storage place on a single device or single I mean, single seed you know it's it's like this giant honeypot just waiting to be attacked or forgotten and that's a big that's a big big problem so what multisig does what cloud custody does is it distributes that risk as much as possible does not get that risk to zero in the same way multi-sig does not get it to zero, but it gets it as close to zero as possible. You know, if you have three keys with three different 
key agents or holders in three different locations with three different self-preservation and security systems, different hardware devices, different everything, you know, then you've distributed that a little bit more so that if one fails, you still have the other two and you're okay, right? So that's the main benefit. Obviously, there, there are trade-offs there as well. It's a little more complicated, this, that, the other, but that's what we try to do at the Bitcoin Advisor. We try to make it simple and understandable for people. But I would say that's the main benefit. Companies need multi-sig. So for them, it's not even a question. You know, you can't have MicroStrategy just give all the coins to Sailor on a treasure and say, here you go. It's like, you know, you can't do that. You have to have multi-sig. So, you know, churches have to have multi-sig. Companies have to have multi-sig, right? And I would argue as more and more Bitcoiners see their purchasing power increase as the purchasing power of Bitcoin increases, they realize I should probably diversify into multi-sig collateral custody because a lot of Bitcoiners, when they have, when their Bitcoin purchasing power is relatively small compared to the future, they are in preservation mode. They just want to keep it safe, right? But as it grows and it becomes just so enormous in value, they're like, what if I lose my keys? What if I pass on? What about my kids? What about my company? What about my family? And so they want to take a portion of that and diversify. And I think that's what people are going to do. They're going to diversify their storage mechanisms, maybe multi-sig with family, maybe multi-sig with the Bitcoin advisor or something similar to that. But whatever the case, I think the benefits are huge. And I think it's going to take time for people to realize that. But once companies start adapting, I think more individuals will figure that out. I have an I'm I'm rocking the, the single six. So I I've uh that's really been on my mind a lot recently is I've I've gone to a decent stack, not security as well as stack and sats is at the forefront. So I'm glad you yep. spoke. Yep, all all it takes all it takes is one mistake, you know, and most Bitcoiners are competent enough that they won't make a mistake. But if you extend your time horizon, you know, if you're thinking about the next year, very low probability someone makes a mistake. If you think out 10 years, it's high. If you think out 100 years, where it passes three generations, it's like all of a sudden it's like, whoa, you know. So having as many redundancies, whether it's with us or on your own, you know, because it takes the the irony of Bitcoin is that you can store a hundred thousand cents just as easy as a hundred thousand Bitcoin, right? You know, yeah, you know, the it's the same mistake, right? It, it doesn't matter how much money you have there if if it's if it's not good security, it's not good security. And for me, which is the funny thing about digital money, you know, if I were to steal a million dollars of gold versus a hundred million dollars of gold, it's a hundred times harder to steal a hundred million dollars of gold. If I were to steal $100 million of Bitcoin versus a million dollars of Bitcoin, it's the same cost to me, right? And so I, I often joke that the more valuable the Bitcoin becomes, the richer you get, the downside is that you're a bigger target, right? So, yeah. Exactly, I agree. Trying to get that ball rolling. Last question from Satoshi.btc. How much will Bitcoin grow yearly after hyper-Bitcoinization? I don't know. I, I think I think pretty fast. I think pretty fast. I'll say that. Because like I said earlier, I think 
when the whole world is on a much more efficient, much more equitable, and much better communicative system, things progress faster, technology progresses faster, and those prosperity gains from that technology gets priced in faster. So I think I think actually it'll be pretty fast. I think it's hard to put a percentage on that because it's like being in the 1940s trying to predict the percentage global uh, prosperity increase in the 70s or 90s or 2010s. It's like so much is going to change that no matter what someone says, like there's no basis to it, right? You're just taking a guess. So, so yeah, I don't know, but I, I think it will be fast. I, I don't think it's going to be like, oh, hyperinflation and Bitcoin stabilizes a stable purchasing power. It's like, no, I think it'll just keep going up as we innovate more and more prosperity, hopefully for more and more people. So, yeah. Exactly. Thank you guys. Really appreciate it. Thank yeah. you, Luke. Thank you so much. This was this was awesome. This was great. Anything? Any last last words? Where can people find you? They can find me on Twitter or X, YouTube. Those are the places. Sounds good. Everybody go check out Luke. He's, he posts some excellent uh, content. Highly recommend it. And yeah, again, thank you so much. Thanks, Luke. Thank you.